This episode of Reality Escape Pod is brought to you by Morty, Escape Tales, Buzzshot, and Patreon supporters like you. Buzzshot is customer satisfaction software for your escape room business. They offer an assortment of pre and post game features, including robust waiver management, branded team photos, and streamlined review management for Yelp, TripAdvisor, Google Reviews, Morty, and more. Lizzie from Palace Games in San Francisco has this to say about Buzzshot. We are huge fans of Buzzshot. It is a great time saver and customer pleaser. Our players get their photos right away and no longer have to wait for us to send out each team photo individually. It has saved our staff a ton of time as our follow-up process is now much easier. Plus, Thomas is wonderful and has made every effort to ensure that Buzzshot meets our needs. Streamline your marketing and grow your business at buzzshot.com slash repod. That's R-E-P-O-D. When booking your free trial to get 20% off your first three months. Details in the show notes. Welcome to the Reality Escape Pod, your lifeline when you need a getaway from the real world. I'm David Spira, alongside my co-host, PG Law. Together, we're exploring immersive gaming from all angles, and we'll be joined by guests who really know their stuff. Each episode this season, we will be interviewing escape room creators from different countries. Today's guest is from Cape Town, South Africa. We're joined by Dino Paolo, co-owner of Hint Hunt in Cape Town, and the winner of Survivor South Africa Return of the Outcasts. Welcome, Dino. <laughs> That's quite an introduction. Thank you. Thanks for having <laughs> me, guys. I'm so excited to be here and nervous. You've had quite the big year. A big understatement, yeah. I mean, we shot Survivor January and February. I came back, uh, put on a little bit of a weight, uh, had a skydiving training camp for skydiving nationals, had the nationals, Survivor went to air, that ended up finishing a couple of weeks ago. I get married next week and I actually finally moved to Cape Town because even though our business is based in Cape Town, I live in Johannesburg. So it's been an insane year and there's no sign of slowing down. So it has been rad and I've really, really enjoyed it. Congratulations on all of it. Thank you. I really appreciate it. <laughs> I am so thrilled to have you on here. I think we first got in touch because... David was the one who informed me. He's like, PG, did you know that there's an escape room owner on Survivor South Africa? And I was like, what? Really? And then I followed you on Twitter and then you messaged me and we started chatting. You were like, you podcast about escape rooms. <laughs> I was like, yes. <laughs> um, and this was actually before your second season. You've been on once before and then you came back for a returnee season. Yeah, exactly that. When you followed me on Twitter, I was like, PG, really? No ways. You know, then I checked out your profile and I was like, it is the PG. And then I saw a reality escape pod. I was like, no ways. This is way too cool. I just found out that I'd be returning. And that's when I started chatting to you about, you know, returning seasons as well and trying to tap into your experience, which I really appreciate still to this day. So thank you so much for opening up about that. Well, I was like, they suck, but apparently it did not suck for you. I mean, whatever advice PG gave you worked out better for you than it yeah. did for her. Do the opposite. Never listen to me. Um, <laughs> and so I was like, awesome. I was like, well, we'll wait to have you on the podcast until after 
you finish your season, you know, and we've been able to watch. And then I remember like, was it at Recon? David turned to me at one point that he was like, I think Dino's going to win it all. He was <laughs> so excited for you. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. Well, geez, it was exactly over Recon because I remember like being so upset and I still am to this day that Recon was over the finale week of episodes and I was trying to work out a million ways to get there and get back in time for the final episode and whether that was viable. I was like desperate to get to Recon and also desperate to stay for this. So I'm super bleak that I missed it, but I will be there next time. We can't wait to have you. I think sticking around to be crowned the um, sole survivor is probably more of a priority. <laughs> <laughs> it was a close race. <laughs> From a viewer standpoint, you had a very impressive victory. It was a really fun season to watch you play. I don't know how it felt being out there, but as a viewer, it seemed like you had a really impressive run. Thank you. It was everything I dreamed of and more, especially since in my first season, I was a pre-merge boot. So I went after 16 days and I felt like I didn't do anything right that season. So to be able to come back and go the distance but also just have so much fun along the way and meet so many cool people and make so many cool friends it's just such an absolute privilege and a dream come true so i absolutely had the best time and i'm glad that that shows as well in the edit it really came through <laughs> thanks despite all the tears because i'm also like a softie and i cry a lot but they were happy tears most of the time i promise <laughs> I'm not a softie, and I also cried a lot on Survivor, so <laughs> it's be, just a thing that happens. <laughs> to be fair, your second time around, you had more painful personalities than I could imagine. <laughs> we won't go into that, but yeah, I feel for you, dude. Well, we'll return to Survivor later in the episode, because there's a lot of interesting things to talk about there. But let's dig into your escape room business, Hint Hunt. You have had some extreme ups and downs as an escape room co-owner, and I want to explore all of it with you. How did you get involved with Hint Hunt in the first place? So to give you a brief history, I wasn't involved in Hint Hunt South Africa from the start. I actually joined later on a former business partner and he's former for a reason. He actually came across the idea and concept in early 2013 and brought it over to South Africa and opened up late 2013. Hintant originally started out in London, but to Hungarian creators in 2012. And for frame of reference, for those who don't know, that's more or less before escape rooms were in most places. In 2013, there would have only been one escape room in North America, and that would have been Scrap in San Francisco. So this is very early. Super early, which is weird for South Africans because we're late adopters to everything. You know, like everything happens in the rest of the world and then we, we climb in that bandwagon like a couple of years later. So kudos to the original operating partner. He identified an opportunity and brought it here way early on. It was only in late 2015 while I was sitting at work, I used to have some retail stores that a friend of mine who, I mean, he's my best mate and we just threw ideas around constantly about new businesses we could start. And one day he sends me this link to escape rooms and I'm like, oh my word, this is so up my alley. I love this idea. This is amazing. And I started investigating the idea and, and I saw, you know, articles on how it was such a low startup cost, but it yielded such a high return. And this is why they're popping up all over the place. But I was like, there's no ways I'm going to do this thing on my own or create something new from scratch because I have no experience. I have no knowledge of this whatsoever. 
so I did some research and I saw there was this hint hunt in Cape Town and I started knocking on that door and I was just like ignored point blank from the original operating partner. And then I just decided to book a ticket to Cape Town and go play the game where he met me there and we started chatting, we got on and I ended up buying into the business and starting a branch in Johannesburg. And that's kind of how I got into the escape room business essentially. So you were just really turned on to the idea and kind of force of personality your way into this existing business. Pretty much. I suppose I used some of my endearing qualities when meeting this guy because originally he ignored my emails. So pulling in there, testing out the games he saw maybe as a potential threat and wanted to meet this potential person. And, and we just ended up getting on so well. And I'd been quite transparent with him about certain things that the Hintan head office at the time had said to me that I thought might have been a red flag for him. And I think that transparency and honesty kind of built a, an immediate trust. And he opened his doors and I met the other silent shareholders and they were super happy to bring on this young 25-year-old who might have been a bit of a risk, but for some reason they kind of took a liking to. What kinds of things were the head office saying that might have been not on the up and up? The original founders of Hintan, the guys with the real passion and, and the brains, they sold a huge stake to a group of investors and it changed the whole ethos of the company where they were passion driven and all about the concept and the experience. These guys were just numbers people and they took it in a very weird direction. When I was contacting Cape Town branch and getting no response, I decided to contact their head office directly and uh, contact the franchisor directly and see, you know, how I could work my way into franchisor. And they started saying things like, oh, you know, they've only got a certain region for a certain period of time and I could have access to a particular set of games that's not in their franchise agreement. And I thought that was a little bit underhanded. I was like, if you're going to give somebody rights to a certain area or rights to the name, I'm like, why would you split up some of your rooms and your experiences, especially that early on where it wasn't like hugely competitive, you know? So I was quite open and honest with them saying that like, hey, they're willing to sell me a franchise in Joburg so long as I use just two of their games and not the other two that you have. And he was taken aback by that saying, well, no, my franchise agreement's actually countrywide for Hint Hunt. And there was a bit of like underhandedness from the sales guy at the head office at that stage that I thought was offsides. And that's why I thought I'd be quite open and honest about it. Interesting. Over the course of your early years in the business, your company was struggling financially, but it wasn't due to the business underperforming. You were selling tickets. Rather, it was financial malfeasance on the part of one of your now ex-partners. How did you discover what was going on? What was going on? So coming in as a youngster, 25-year-old who's the outsider who's bought into this business and the three original owners are mates who have been mates for over 20 years, you know, in their 40s, had a bit of that imposter syndrome, which as you can see is a common theme with me. So I never rocked the boat whenever I saw some red flags, but there was always turnover, but there was never any leftover. And it, it did raise concerns to the point where Johannesburg branch eventually had to close down. Out of nowhere, we get told by this partner that we're owing millions in rands. For frame of reference, 1 million South African rand is currently 55,000 US dollars. To landlords, we were just owing money left, right and center. And we were like, oh my word, how did we get into this situation? And it almost felt like it came out of nowhere. Although the red flags were there, the sheer extent of it was quite surprising. And for a long time leading up to there, I actually started selling off my assets that I'd accumulated in my previous businesses to try and keep 
these businesses afloat, thinking that, you know, we're in the same boat, we're striving for a common goal. Meanwhile, there was an incredible amount of theft and mismanagement of funds from his side that I eventually uncovered by having a bit of a discussion with one of the silent shareholders, who's my now current active partner. He's a hugely successful businessman in his own right. He was a part of a chemical manufacturing plant, got his MBA. They sold out for a huge amount of money. And he was never actively involved in this business. But eventually I went to him and said, hey, listen, have you noticed X, Y, and Z has happened? And he was like, yes, I have noticed. And I was trying to test the waters because this is one of his mates. And I didn't want to be putting myself in a more precarious position. And once we kind of scratched that surface, I got full permission to do like a full-on audit, bring in my own people from him with the shareholder backing. And we uncovered insane, insane levels of theft and mismanagement. But fortunately, we were able to make the right decisions, turn it around and put ourselves on a really, really good footing going forward. I'm thrilled to hear it. Before we move on from the mismanagement and the theft, do you have any advice for business owners to prevent this kind of financial fraud? Like, What kinds of steps can people take to make sure that this sort of thing never happens in the first place? So what I've learned, and I've learned this through my current business partner, Gary, he's been phenomenal. And we'll, we'll chat a bit more about him and his involvement going forward. But it doesn't matter the size of the business, you have to run it like it's a business. And you have to have the right financial controls in place. In our case, we've got accountants, we've got bookkeepers, we've got our own internal financial systems. You know, we go the full distance. Or if you just have, at the very least, a way of tracking every single cent that comes into the business and every single cent that goes out, we use a spreadsheet that we call Money Matters to do that. We are constantly keeping an eye on absolutely every single cent of the business. We know what's coming in, we know what's going out, and that can be done even on a very basic level. And had we been doing that at an earlier stage, we would have been able to pick up certain things far sooner. So I would just say, regardless of the size of the business, it is your business. You need to be doing your due diligence. You need to be looking after the finances. You need to keep a close eye on things, no matter how big or small, because everything adds up. Wow. I'm so sorry to hear you had to go through that. You were like playing real life survivor. It was a crazy time and it was a very tough time financially. I mean, I sold three of my investment properties and my car to stay afloat personally right through this time. Oh it felt like huge steps backwards, you know, but at the same time, I was just grateful that I was in a position to be able to do that. So on a personal level, it was tough, but it was great lessons. I learned so much. And at the very least, I can look back and go like, well, I am where I am now and I'm very happy where we are now. So I'm grateful for how everything's happened, no matter how tough it was at the time. But yeah, it was like real life survivor. Oh my word. Even when we were uncovering the theft and the fraud and having to do this investigation without alerting him to it at all, and then having to suspend him from the company and do all of this, oh man, and manage accounts that he had access to and almost like flip a switch where he's one day he's in the business and one day he's not without him even knowing, like the ultimate blind side. It was like Survivor. It was insane. <laughs> totally. Yeah, you had to blindside him. Wow. And it's sad because he and I were close. We became friends because we chatted every day and, and I care a lot for him and his family. And it was incredibly tough for him too. So there was a level of empathy that this was dealt with. Somebody listening in can detach themselves from this human being and be like, oh, well, that guy stole from you. So just cut it loose. But no, there's a personal relationship there that made it really, really difficult. And it really was like Survivor because you do build up these personal relationships and you do have to like make hard decisions. It's uncanny, the similarities, right? 
It's becoming very clear why you won your season. (laughs) (laughs) Hint Hunt was a fairly large international franchise, which you were a part of, but no longer are. Yes. So how did that break happen? So for a long time throughout our recovery, which was quite rapid, we wanted to defranchise. We wanted to go on our own. We didn't like the direction that the investors were trying to take the business. They were trying to manufacture these super, super high-tech, really expensive units that they had access to and control over, and they could be the only ones to run the software and support, and they wanted to sell these units. And it's just not viable for us, not with our currency, not with our challenges that we face here, not with the shipping. It's just not financially viable. And further to that, you know, two of the units that they'd sold us already didn't work well technically because they couldn't offer us the right support, and we couldn't do anything on our side because it was you know, designed in such a way that limited our ability to maintain it, you know? If you can't fix it, you don't own it. Absolutely. That's exactly the way we felt, right? And we always felt like we were at their mercy. And they never came up with enough new experiences for us. At a time where we were expanding and growing, they didn't have new rooms for us. And so we were opening up doubles and triples of their existing themes, which in a market like South Africa, we made it work for us. We pitched it to our audience in a way or our customer base in a way that it worked for us to say like, hey, you can go head to head in these rooms. It worked well for corporates. But ideally to try and work on a small demographic that can actually afford to play, we needed them to be repeat customers. And you know, we needed to be able to sell each of our areas to different customers or returning customers. And we couldn't do that with the same theme replicated. So it made things so challenging for us in many, many ways. So we were looking to do franchise for a long time. As we started seeing this great recovery, the world went into COVID and then that was our next big hurdle. But they ended up liquidating through COVID and closing down the head office. And then we got our independence through that. So it was a really unfortunate circumstance. And there were a couple of smaller franchisees who also closed down because of COVID. But, you know, for us, we got our independence and I suppose at least we can go forward more positively. So were there benefits of franchising that you did miss, though, after going independent? Not afterwards, no. I think for us, <laughs> not a business starting out, a business starting out, hugely valuable, especially if you don't know much about the industry, you don't know much about games. Uh, if you're just somebody who has a liking for this kind of thing and you have a liking for business, then, you know, being a franchisee is great. You don't have to worry about too many other things. But you outgrew it. Yeah, we definitely outgrew it. And like I say, I mean, we're not on the, the international standard as yet. We, we're going to get there eventually, but we've definitely learned more than enough to go on our own and be able to grow in our own way and managing things ourselves and being able to implement our own systems, our own decisions based on what we know about our market has been amazing for us. It's not to say that we've gotten everything right first time, but it's definitely been more ups than, than downs. Makes sense. You've just alluded to your desire to level up your games. What are your aspirations for your business at this point? So Gary and I, the current partner and I, we looked at a couple of things. We thought to ourselves, do we go and try and open a number of locations around the country again? Or do we continue to expand where we are and what's ego, what's not ego? And there's a couple of things that we kind of figured. We're very happy in the location we're in in Cape Town at the moment. We're probably in the best location in Africa. Brendan and Teresa from the Room Escape Artist team were just in South Africa. Actually, like the day before you won Survivor, you were hanging out with them. Yeah. 
And they came back and they told me, one, Dino's games are better than he says they are. <laughs> and two, his location is perfect. Those are the big things that they took away. What was it about the location that made it perfect? So we originally started out at the old biscuit mill in Cape Town. And, and Cape Town as a city is fantastic. It's got our highest footfall for tourists annually. It's got not a massive population. It's got a larger percentage of that population is of the demographic that can afford to play and would have an interest in playing. So from a city point of view, Cape Town's great for that. We were invited by the VNA Waterfront to take up space in the watershed, which is an incubator for a number of businesses. And the VNA Waterfront is a massive establishment. It's a mall, but it's more than a mall. It's, it's a precinct, a massive precinct. It has massive footfall. It has huge local appeal. It has massive tourist appeal. And it's just so beautiful out there. And it's always buzzing, always vibing. It is incredible. It's beautiful. When you say footfall, do you mean foot traffic? Yes, for traffic. A lot of, okay, a lot of people, a big retail center, like people are there like shopping and walking around, eating and drinking. Yes. So for us, we benefited a lot from that appeal. And to be quite honest, we got in there on a favorable deal because they invited us into that space. Our bread is buttered on both sides with the VNA waterfronts, and we couldn't be more grateful for being there. And that's been our saving grace because we had to close down our old biscuit mill site, which was the original location we started because of COVID. As sad as it was, we maintained this incredible location that we couldn't be more grateful to have. We're taking a moment to thank our sponsor, Morty. Morty is a free app for discovering, planning, tracking, and reviewing escape rooms and other immersive social outings. I believe in Morty so much that I have a stake in it as an advisor. We're not the only ones who have gone global. In preparation for this episode, Morty has launched in South Africa with 16 companies in 16 locations with 49 games. Over the course of this season, the Morty team has been working really hard to add in new countries and round out the data on the countries that they're already in. This includes places like South Africa, but it's really everywhere. If you are an escape room player or an owner and you spot something that's missing, definitely reach out to the Morty team through the app. They are eager to find out what they are missing and will add it into the database. They really are trying to get every escape room everywhere. You can learn more at mortyapp.com repod. That's R-E-P-O-D to sign up and get a special badge for our listeners. Link and details in the show notes. Where do you want your business to go from here? How do you want to be leveling up? So in all these years, we've just been surviving and trying to keep our head above water. So we haven't really necessarily looked at how things are progressing and what's our long term because we couldn't even see a short to medium term. With Gary stepping full-time in the business and having a bit more of a, a business mindset towards it, we identified that if we do want longevity, we need to constantly stay ahead of the curve, at least in the South African market. We need to be offering more than what anybody else is offering. We need to set a barrier to entry that is too high for people to come in and want to compete in our space, just from a business perspective. And 
we looked around and through me even listening to your guys' podcasts and having a look online and seeing what's out there and seeing all the awards and reading about all these amazing escape rooms and the reviews and going like, we're not quite there yet. So we want to get to that level of amazing, amazing escape rooms rather than what's probably an average room, which is what we're offering. It's still ahead of the curve in terms of our South African market, but it's nowhere near what you guys get. That's an interesting thought that you want to be so good that you're going to prevent people from wanting to enter. And I was thinking about this because at the start of this interview, you started off by saying that you got into escape rooms because your friend came up to you and was like, hey, this business is high earning and low investment, you know, low barrier to entry because it's so cheap to open up an escape room back in the day. That's the proliferation of escape rooms back in like the mid 2010s, you know. There's a few reasons for that. And it's not necessarily greed driven, right? But what I found, especially running the Johannesburg operation, was we found a couple of people entered the market and just came with not your usual, maybe lower level or entry level escape rooms, well below that, where people were having incredibly bad experiences at these establishments. And that would taint the idea or the concept for a number of people. Now, in South Africa, not many people know about escape rooms still, if you look at our country on the whole. And if their first experience is bad, they're unlikely to try it again, you know. So we are super happy to have a few good relationships with really good establishments as well. And I try to have a good relationship with a number of the business owners. And we love having great or better run businesses in the different regions. And even if they were nearer to our doorstep, because it does expose more people to the concept there would be enough people to spill over to the different businesses. But what we can't afford to have is people coming in with like a really substandard experience and taint the whole concept for a number of potential customers for us. That's where some of our struggle is. So we do want to set a standard. I absolutely agree. I played some escape rooms recently that were not very good. And in one of them, Game Master was actually kind of laughing. Oh yeah, we have groups that just come here and just sit in there for 60 minutes doing nothing. And we're like, really? Like why? And she said they used up all their three hints in like the first 10 minutes and they didn't get any more. And these were first timers and they didn't know what else to do. So they, they just sat there for 60 minutes. And I was aghast. I was like, why didn't you just help them? Like, you know, and she's like, well, we don't do that here. And I was like to myself, I was like, do you think these people will ever come back and play another escape room in their lives? Like, no, you know, it was just so terrible. And also, you want to make new enthusiasts. If you're doing your job right, you have created an escape room enthusiast, and that is better for the entire industry at large. Absolutely. And, oh man, I can go into that for days, but there was almost this ego attached to it where it was all about success rates and challenging them and having these low success rates and making it this huge accolade to get out of the room, you know, and limiting hints to an extent. And, well, people must fail because when they succeed, they must feel like they've really accomplished something. But, you know, you're having like 20% success rates. And I'm going, hmm, is that really necessarily fun if people are coming out constantly frustrated? And even within our own business, we've had to actively shift the culture from a room is this hard or a room is this or to we are a fun factory. Our job is to ensure that the people that come in have the best time possible, however they decide to have that fun. We need to provide the platform and the service and the experience. And when they enter our doors, we're at their service. If their way of fun is having 50,000 hints and they find that like the best thing ever, we will gladly give you 50,000 on one hints. 
if you come in and you want zero hints and you don't mind struggling and struggling and struggling because you'll happily come back again and struggle and struggle and struggle and that's your way of having fun, fantastic. We will support that. And we've really had to change the mindset and even our staff to achieve that. On one of our more recent tours, we ended up with these two people who had never met before and they became kind of this incredible and unlikely duo. And one was a really strong puzzler who just loved to go and solve everything. And the other was somebody who really was there for the experience and didn't care how much they were involved in the solving. They were kind of this delightful odd couple through the tour. They were also booking other games together and they were both getting exactly what they wanted out of it, which it was a beautiful and unexpected symbiotic relationship. That's actually pretty epic. <laughs> yeah, I love I loved it. I, and if you would have asked me beforehand, like who are going to end up being the greatest duo ever, I would never have put these two people together. Not in my life. <laughs> that's actually interesting. And that's one of the great things about escape rooms, right? Is you see so many different skill sets and personalities come together and work or not work together, right? I mean, for you, what is a great escape room partner to you? And what is a great ex experience to you? For me, I mean, Lisa is sort of my best escape room teammate. And I'm not just saying that to be sappy. <laughs> I mean, that's why you married her. <laughs> yeah. We both have very complementary skill sets. But at least for me, my, my deficit is that I really struggle to read in an escape room environment. Okay. It's a whole processing thing. And she processes written stuff better when she's the one reading it. I process it better when I'm hearing it. So that kind of stuff really, really helps out. She's also willing to sit and do like a 30 minute logic puzzle, uh, which insane. I don't think David would have the patience for. <laughs> I mean, it's also usually those logic puzzles are very reading heavy. Yeah. It's definitely my weakness. And I would say Lisa's only like, real weakness in escape rooms and she's even gotten stronger with this is um scary horror things you know sticking your arm into the dark mysterious hole those kinds of things she is very happy to have me do those for her oh, that's epic you sound like a power couple man <laughs> it works nice yeah she's a better player than me uh, i'm sure you'd say that <laughs> and pg you know, I will say that lately I've kind of noticed I have become the person who I want to see every single thing in the room, even though everyone's like, you can't go into an escape room expecting to see everything. Just yeah. put that out of your head or you're going to have a bad time. And I have major FOMO all the time. So I always want to see everything. And so a lot of the times I like to work on everything together. We were just playing in Indianapolis this past weekend. And when we have too many people in the room, I will switch my job into, I am just here to make sure that everyone slows down a little bit. That's what I've been doing. It's like, oh, you're about to solve something. Hey, everybody, come over here. Check this out. This person is about to solve something. When you are in there with an overpowered team, it can go by way too quickly. That's a really good tip. That's my favorite tip that David has shared that I try to drill in. So his advice is always whenever you think something cool is about to happen, make sure you kind of call out a pause. Hey, everybody, you know, I'm about to do the thing. I think something cool is going to happen. Everybody come in because the worst is like, when did yes. that open? What's the, where did you get that thing from? You know, and then you, you don't know it and you miss the cool moment. So I really appreciated that piece of advice. I will slow the teams down and I 
will sometimes go and I'll put myself in front of the interaction where I know a puzzle is going to solve to so that no one can put it in there until I have gone and announced like, hey, we're going to go and do a thing right now. And that is a useful way to kind of control the pace if you are on the flip side of the bell curve where the clock is not a problem, how quickly you're moving through it is a bigger problem. In terms of the global escape room community, you are in a bit of a geographically isolated area. And as you've said, it can be difficult and expensive to travel to get inspiration from other creators. Um, So, you know, besides this podcast, which is, of course, going to be one of your best resources (laughs) for getting inspiration. (laughs) No, it really, really is. It really is. But are there other ways of finding that inspiration that you've had to turn to? So there's been a couple of community groups on Facebook that have joined that often pops up with, you know, an interesting article or an interesting viewpoint. But one of the best things that's happened for us is there's a business about an hour and a half away from us that started called Escape Tricks. And the owner is super switched on, very creative, very technical. And I'd played his rooms and I really enjoyed the puzzles, but you could see that it was maybe a bit hamstrung financially, you know, but super creative puzzles and super enjoyable. And he reached out to me saying, hey, look, he's actually closing his business. Would we be interested in buying his rooms? And I was like, man, I remember chatting to him and and he was super cool and super creative and he wanted to stay in the industry. And we kind of reached an agreement where he's now full-time in our business. He builds and creates experiences for us. He's busy doing his first one for us. And we're super excited with what he's got. And he's been an amazing resource to us because he's far more in tune with what's going on out there. He's done a lot more research and we're relying heavily on him at this stage to help us get to that next level because he does have the skill set. He does have the creativity. He does have that drive. And he's like been an amazing, amazing addition to our team. And we're super grateful for that. So before we switch to talking about Survivor, I have a very important question for you. (laughs) Why won't you let your business partner put a life-size cardboard cutout of you (laughs) in the lobby? Oh, my word. (laughs) It's so terrible. Just the idea. And then they downscaled it to something else, and it was even worse. I don't know. It's it's weird. As much (laughs) as I like Survivor, I don't like that kind of attention. I just find it very strange. Um, Hold up. Hold up. So... (laughs) From your response, I am assuming that there was, in fact, at some point, a life-size cutout of you in the lobby. No, there was a plan for a life-size cutout (laughs) in the lobby. And I was like, there's absolutely no way. I'm like, guys, please don't do this to us. And fortunately, it it was going to be a bit expensive to to get made for, like, the campaign. They wanted to run a social media campaign with it, you know, to tie it together. you have to. You, you know, honestly, my biggest regret from when I first did Survivor and also times were different back then. We didn't have social media when I did my first season of Survivor back in 2007, but I refused to capitalize on it for the business. I was so embarrassed. I thought it was the cheesiest thing. And I really regret not using that 15 minutes of celebrity to boost my business anymore. I have a jewelry business. And, you know, at the time, I just absolutely refused. You feel like you're selling out. It feels really hokey or cheesy. But I'm like, 
you've got to, you know, and I have gotten business from it. And so I don't think there is anything. (laughs) I would, in fact, really love to see a life-size cutout (laughs) of you in the lobby. (laughs) Well, in retrospect, the life-size cutout would have worked out a bit better because then they ended up just having these like A3 posters all over with like the competition and like my face that I found even worse. So the life-size cutout might have gone down a bit better, but I hear you and I, I would say the same thing to anyone. I'm like, no, milk it, milk it. But for me, it just felt different you know i guess it's a bit of that imposter syndrome also survivor in south africa is so small comparative to survivor in, in the u.s because it's on a channel that's on a particular package that's so unaffordable for most South africans that it's got maybe a viewer base of you know live viewers about fifty thousand people at a time will watch an episode you know so it's tiny in a country with 60.7 million as a population it's got a small viewer base so at the same time i was just like I don't want to be look like I'm trying to be relevant when I'm not relevant kind of thing. There was this like that negative voice inside, but I so hear you. And, and that would be my advice to anyone else. Like go and milk it, milk it for what it's worth. Why not? I do know that you know what it's like. It feels a bit different when it's you. I get where you're coming from because I think a similar cringe reflex to you when it comes to this kind of stuff. But the other thing I would add though, is that you do have fans and they are excited to come and play Dino's escape room company. And I do think giving them what they are looking for isn't necessarily a bad thing either. No, not at all. And I've been grateful to be able to meet a few of those people and interact. It's like the weirdest concept in the world for me to think that I have a fan. Even as the winner, I'm still like, but you love Phil, right? I mean, Phil's your favorite. Phil's got to be your favorite. Or like, Steffi, you really want to meet Steffi. You don't want to meet me. You want to meet them, the real survivors. You're just the winner. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not, I've never felt like when I was a pre-merge boot, I had this validation. I could validate this thought of like, oh no, but I'm a pre-merge boot. So I'm not really a castaway. The rest of them who made merge are the real castaways. Now I've won the show and I'm still like, no, no, but I'm still just me. I'm not really a survivor castaway. I'm just a fan of the game. All these other people I played with are the survivor castaways. You know, it's, it's the weirdest like. Whatever that <laughs> voice in your head is saying to you is wrong. I mean, I can tell you. So Lee Lowe from the recon team, she's been on this show twice now. She is and has been since your first season, a huge Dino Paolo fan. That is amazing. <laughs> I can't believe it, but thank you. When I told her that you were going to be on the show, she sent me your interview on Kieran from your first season's podcast and she's like you have to listen to this and that's where I did like half my prep and for our listeners we'll put this in the show notes if you want to hear Dino's story of unraveling this giant ball of financial fraud and all of the details of how he got into the escape room world and how it went there is a very in-depth conversation that we'll link to in the show notes it's it's a it's a really interesting and compelling story Uh, Thank you. That's awesome. And I think it's great for Kieran as well, because I think he's really good at what he does on his podcast as well. He's fantastic. I think his show is underappreciated. Absolutely. You talk about interacting with fans at Hintant. People who interact with me who are like, oh, I've always wanted to try an escape room or I've been to escape room three times and I love you and Survivor. I'm just end up like just giving them vouchers. I'm like, oh, wait, come play more. You know, like somebody stops me in the mall. They're like, oh my word, you're from Survivor. That's so cool. Don't you have like a business around you? I'm like, oh, have you ever done Hintant? They're like, no. I'm like, Get some vouchers. Give me email address. I'm just like start giving things away. And I'm like, give them a discount code, Dino. I'm not Get it together. <laughs> my business partner's like, Dino, those are hot leads. That's money. I'm like, ah, oh, no, but yeah. they were so nice to me. Give them a discount code. Don't give them a voucher. <laughs> oh, man. See, that's why he deals with like the financials and the commercial decisions in the business. 
this is also the dynamic between me and Lisa, and in our relationship, I'm you. Yeah, so I, I'm picking that up as well. Even the way you described the escape rooms, the way you guys operate, I'm like, that's me and Kirsten in our relationship. That's me and Gary in our business partnership. I'm like, yeah, I'm you, David Hug. I so get you, dude. Escape Tales is a tabletop escape room series with a focus on strong story and puzzles. Their games have weight and atmosphere, and the decisions you make along the way change the outcome. They are each crafted by the folks behind Lock Me and the Escape Room World Championship. They really know escape rooms and love them, and it shows in their product. Escape Tales feels about as close to a real-life escape room as you can get on the tabletop. The Escape Tales series is an escape room board game that you can play at home. And it plays like a cross between a choose-your-own-adventure narrative story, a point-and-click adventure game, and an escape room. Their mechanics are really clever. You can search a room and discover either items, puzzles, or story points. And the choices you make really do impact the game. I really recommend this game. I loved playing it. And it feels like playing a five-hour escape room with a lot of story. I'm not surprised that you loved playing it so much. The guys who made it have been in the escape room space about as long as I have. And they have created Lock Me. They've created the Escape Room World Championship. They have played a lot of escape rooms. So they have really been around the block and... I have had lots of conversations with them over the years, and I know that they're coming from a really similar place that me and Lisa are, both in terms of history with escape rooms and also love for them. You can buy any installment of the Escape Tales series at store.boardanddice.com. Board and Dice is now shipping from both the United States and the European Union, so your games will not get held up in customs. Use discount code ROOMESCAPEARTIST at checkout to receive a generous 25% off your purchase. Details in the show notes. Well, let's talk Survivor a little bit. All right, Dino. So you have competed twice on Survivor South Africa. And for those who aren't familiar, this is a South African production. So it is not survivor like the one we have in the u.s that is taking place in south africa this is actually a separate show it has a different host and it's one of the many different international survivors we also have survivor australia which again is an australian production so what kinds of differences are there between the shows because you are a super fan right (sighs) I've had the tagline superfan, but by like superfan standards, I'm not a superfan. I don't know everything. Same. I know a lot by like South African standards, but in the community, I'm like, wow, I can't remember those details like everyone else. But I am a massive fan of the show and I have been for a long time. But some of the major differences, one is that our crew is a third of the size. Our production has minimal budget compared to both Australian Survivor and US Survivor. What US Survivor's budget is on two episodes that's our entire season budget. Are you sure? Because I feel like American Survivor budget has been shrinking. I know that was accurate as of 2019. So at that point, I know it's accurate at that point. Our crew is 150, and I think the US crew, what I've read, is about 450 from what I understand. I think it's around there. 
if I'm not mistaken, but I do know that our crew is tiny. So our production on the whole is is smaller. However, having chatted to the crew and, and a lot of our crew works on the US Survivor, they work on Expedition Robinson, a lot of our camera crew does work on Australian Survivor. So they've been around, they're involved in all these things. They even say that ours is far more intimate, ours is far more personal from a production standpoint, whereas they feel that US Survivor has become a bit of a production line of you know pushing out content. Yeah. Ours is still driven by love. And a lot of the crew that's on our show, they love Survivor. And they're there. They don't get paid a heck of a lot compared to other jobs. And they'll openly admit it, but this is the job they want to do. And they do it with immense love. And I'm not saying that it's easy on any of the shows. Crew works phenomenally hard, but there's a lot of love. And I think it's because one of the major things is our series director, LaRue, is a super fan. He auditioned to be on the first season of the show. He auditioned to be on the second season of the show. Didn't get on. Ended up working as a content producer. Then the whole production company folded at the end of season five. And he then went and took a chance to revive Survivor South Africa, the super fan. And that's the person that's heading up our franchise, somebody who absolutely loves the game. And you can feel it. You really can. Watching the ramp up over the last few seasons for Survivor SA, it's clear that the producers have been iterating and improving on the show rapidly. And in my opinion, your winning season was one of the strongest seasons of Survivor that I have ever watched, period. Oh, wow. I don't care what country produced it. It doesn't matter what the budget was. Like Lisa and I were enthralled and could not wait for the next episode. It has a bit of that old school Survivor feeling, you know, where it feels very authentic. All the players feel very authentic. And even the way they've produced it, it feels like it's a lot more focused on the storyline and narrative. And it's not so much about all these really complicated strategies and immunities and different twists and things like that. You know, it doesn't feel as heavily producer influenced in a way. That's how I feel watching it. They also do such an amazing job in Survivor Essay of establishing each person as not just a character in the show, but as a person. And they do a very good job of making you understand what their motivations are at any given point in time. As a viewer, when we saw you win, we knew you were winning. We knew exactly what you had done to get there. And we knew what your competitors had done to get there. And we knew why you had to vote out Marion, because if you didn't, you were going to be in trouble. And we knew you had to vote out Phil, because if you didn't, you were going to be in trouble. It gave that full picture of all of you as humans. And I loved seeing that play out. I loved the drama of this season. No, I appreciate that. And I think to some of the differences in having somebody like LaRue at the helm, he listens to the feedback. So even while I was playing the game, right, and I'd have these moments in the mark with these confessionals where I was just giving a nod to the producers going like, I know why you've done this. Even in the game, I could tell that the reason Outpost wasn't used as frequently was because the previous season, people were saying that Community Island took up too much time on one person, one thing. And then you had two challenges as well. So people didn't get to connect to the characters. And that was one of the criticisms. So we get into this game and then I see that it's a reward and immunity as a single challenge. And then the outpost is not being used that frequently. I'm going like, they're doing this because of character development. They're actually trying to tell a story here. And um, we pick that up in the game. And I think that's the difference. Ruin them really listen to the audience. You're never going to please everyone. But he tries to take that feedback on board and say, like, okay, cool, how can we do this better? I think the other thing that they do is that they're not hell-bent on blindsiding the audience. And I think Australian Survivor is probably most guilty of that. 
maybe to the detriment of not having this massive surprise at tribal council, but at least you have a more accurate story going in there and you understand why certain things have happened. So you don't have that question mark later on. I think that this way is better because then the intrigue and the interesting part is how it goes down or how it fails if it ends up getting turned on its side. The drama is just coming from a different place. And I personally prefer the more human side of it rather than the surprise side of it. I don't need to be shocked every episode. Yeah. And I think a good cast and a good format will give you that suspense and that wow factor or surprise factor on its own without production having to try and shove it down your throat. It's not to say that our production gets it right every single time and they're going to please everyone, but I know there's a conscious effort to please an audience or to cater to an audience. And I think Shannon Gus says it quite well, to speak up to the audience rather than speaking down to it. I agree. Shannon Gus is a host on the podcast. Rob has a podcast which covers Survivor and Shannon Gus specifically covers International Survivor. And she does a lot of really fantastic interviews. We'll put links to that in the show notes as well. Now, is Survivor South Africa the same length as what Survivor used to be? How long does it go on for? So it's now since season six, since the reboot, it's 39 days. And this most recent season, all of those episodes, I believe they aired over the course of 39 days in real life as well. I was the one that figured that out somehow randomly and I messaged our producer. I was like, LaRue, because I know he geeks out about this stuff as well. I was like, did you notice that this has just happened, that it's exactly 39 days? He's like, no ways, that's too cool. It's so rad as well because people can get a sense of how long it is to actually be out there because especially with the episodes airing four times a week, it was quite tiring and, and consuming and exhausting, even for a viewer, right? And by the end of it, people are like, wow, you know, there was a good season, but whew, you know, it's over. And it's like, yes, that's the sense we get as well. You know, when we're in the game for 39 days, it's go, 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 go. And that's the length of time we had to sit there and people go, wow, that's actually really long. It gave a good reference point. So instead of Jeff Probst, Survivor has Nico Panaggio, which I very, I embarrassingly, not, this was not embarrassing at the time, but um, I had just started watching Survivor South Africa. And of course, whenever I start watching Survivor, I can't help but tweet about it. And I was like, if I had known how hot the host was, <laughs> I would have started watching Survivor South Africa a long time ago. And then Dino decides to like <laughs> reply to my tweet, but then he tags Nico in it. <laughs> and Nico replied I know, today. and then Nico slept. replied today, and I was like, oh my God. Like, <laughs> I mean, this man is, you know, and he, it was, <laughs> so I got kind of excited, but also a little embarrassed. <laughs> No, it's okay. He he gets it all the time. I mean, even in the game. Uh, yeah, like, I'm sure. Because this is a very attractive man. <laughs> yeah, no. And, and he's even better in person. <laughs> no, it's crazy. He does this crazy smolder thing. Like you hit the mats and then we have to wait for all the camera crew to get all their shots. And he just does this like smolder things. And he's just like, no, guys, watch my eyes. Watch my eyes. And we're like, of course we're going to watch your eyes. We're going to watch. We're going to watch all of you, bro. Like, doesn't get like we all, we all like kind of there like melting. Yeah, he's a good looking guy. He's a great person as well. And I think that adds to it. And he's, he's a really good host, but he's super cool. And we're lucky to have him as a host. And he too is a massive fan of the show. He applied for season one to be a contestant on the show and didn't make it because he was an actor and told he was too famous. So we're just surrounded by these people who love the game. And I think it's just such a privilege. But yes, he's phenomenally good looking, Peach. <laughs> <laughs> How was he as a host? Because off camera, I found Jeff very off-putting, mostly because it is his job to 
drag these emotions out of you, right? He needs to create a drama and make you interesting. And he knows that a lot of times contestants are cagey. We don't want to spill the beans. Or, you know, there's times when I'm very upset. And of course, I'm not going to just come bursting out and be like a whiny baby about things I'm pissed off about. But he's like, Peach, you look mad. And I'm like, I'm not mad. And he'd be like, cut the crap. He's like, I can tell you're fighting back words. You're never short of opinions. So why don't you, you know, and, and he'll just browbeat me until the outburst of emotions. And of course, that's what they air. How was Nico off camera? Was he doing those same sort of host producer tricks? Well, as it felt like all on camera, so in like a tribal council, he would interrogate and push and you'd find those those points to uncover and try and unpack. But he's also very patient in the way he does it. And he's not shy to move on to somebody else and come back to you. I think he finds a good balance of letting you play your game while still trying to make TV. It gets to a point for him where you're completely a closed book and there were one or two players like that, like Phil and, and Felix were phenomenal at giving non-answers, right? And that's incredibly frustrating for a host and even maybe for a viewer, but they'd give non-answers all the time. And he'd try and get it out of them, but eventually he'd just move on. He'd leave them alone and go, right, that's their game, you know, and he'd respect that. So we find him to be super, super respectful. And beyond the game, he's just a really nice down-to-earth guy, but he does have this like aura about him, this Nico aura, which is quite interesting. He's difficult to try and get close to on a personal level in a way or break down walls. He's always got like a Nico persona, but I think he has to do that to keep that level of professionalism. But yeah, I don't even know if that really answers your question, but he's super patient and how you see him on TV is very much how he is. He might actually be a bit softer off camera, actually. For all future players, you need to remember that the host is actually part of the game they will try to get you to spill the beans and do not fall for this in tribal <laughs> council. And this happened to me because, um, you know, I threw a challenge mm. once and I was determined to take this to the grave. And my co-conspirator, he freaking pokes her once and she starts spilling all the beans. And I'm like, oh, my God, why are you saying like you got to maintain your shaggy defense. It well, wasn't she, me. Well, she wasn't exposing me. You know, all the secrets. Like, uh, like, uh, I was like, stop. It was the worst. It was the worst day. Oh, I feel you. That's one of those things, right? You could hold that secret. You could take that secret to the grave. But the person that you entrusted, they didn't end up spilling to everybody else. They end up spilling to the host in front of everybody else, which is like <laughs> the same thing. So, <laughs> oh, man, I feel for you, dude. I absolutely feel for you. <laughs> So um, any chance you could get the rights to build a Survivor South Africa challenge experience? Actual rights? No, because Survivor South Africa is struggling to even get the right sign off to sell merchandise to the public. You know, we've never been able to sell merch to the public. And LaRue being the fan he is, he's always wanted to deliver that. And he's already got all the buffs. He's got all the stock. But they're just struggling to sign it off. It was meant to be done before the season. And we're like three weeks, four weeks from finale and they still can't get it right. So the rights to an actual Survivor game, unfortunately not. But everyone's like, oh, do you know, you should run a Survivor game. And I'm like, yes, it'd be fantastic. But we're going to have to call it something like Survival or something like that, you know? <laughs> <laughs> um, so what I do want to do that, that will incorporate more Survivor style challenges, let's say it like that, is... Um, we do do kind of scavenger hunt type experiences as well, right? And we're moving over to ClueKeeper as a platform. We're going to start implementing that as a platform. ClueKeeper is really cool in what they offer as a, a scavenger hunt platform. But what I'd like to do is have a route that does tackle very survivor styled types of challenges. Challenges that you'd find, you know, 
at the challenges. Throwing bean bags onto a beam. <laughs> yes, silly things like that. And and we'd have to be very clever about how we do it and where we do it. But I'd I'd love to do something like that because I know as a fan watching the show, I just wanted to try the challenges. I love the challenges, you know, and I think there's a large portion of an audience and even those who don't watch Survivor that those kinds of challenges would appeal to. So I'd love to incorporate that somehow. Cluekeeper is made by Rich Bragg, who's one of our longtime Patreon supporters. He's been on most of our events. He's also a huge Survivor fan. I don't know if you knew that. I did not know that. I've had recent emails with him. I had no idea that he was a Survivor fan, but he's such a nice guy and he's so helpful. He's fantastic. Hey, Rich. Hey, Rich. (laughs) (laughs) He's also involved in the Terpicas, right? He's the creator of the Terpicas. What do you think the odds are of an international all-star season of Survivor? (laughs) Because I really want this to happen. Um, I think think it's going to happen. We've always had a, a hashtag when, not if, you know, when it comes mm-hmm. to anything Survivor SA because we're always struggling to get it renewed and this and that. So I'm going to say, yeah, hashtag when, not if. It's going to happen at some point. Hashtag when, not if. Okay. From a South African standpoint, I just don't know if we have the buying power with our low currency conversion and low budgets to be able to attract some of the big names. Because as far as I understand it, you'd have to do it as Survivor South Africa and then invite all of the all-stars on, and you make it a theme where you invite people from different countries. Australian Survivor invited Sandra, they've had Russell Hands, but it's always been Australian Survivor, so they'd have to produce it their way. Or US Survivor, CBS would have to do it their way and invite. So it wouldn't be necessarily a joint effort, but one of the franchises would have to pick the idea up and run with it. I'm not sure who it's going to be. I would have pictured, if anyone, Australia first, but yeah, we'll, we'll have to see. I want the like Spider-Man No Way Home version of this where we have <laughs> Jeff and Nico and Jono all in the mix. Can you imagine? Oh, I can't even imagine. <laughs> all right. Let's spread the love a little bit. What are some of your current favorite games in South Africa that you didn't create? I do have a favorite. There's a company called Brainwaves Escape in Centurion, which is Gauteng province. Uh, which is the province I'm from. It's called Saving Sherlock, and it's definitely been my favorite escape room that I've played. Um, I mean, it's a classic detective mystery type game, but it's got such a great variation in puzzles and puzzle types. It's got a couple of dexterity puzzles, and I kind of like dexterity as well. And she's done so much to theme the room, and her business is always the one that I recommend people go to. And all of her rooms are really, really good, and we chat quite regularly. And yeah, man, I, I highly recommend there's a friend of mine who has a business called Hashtag Escape, also in Gauteng, so Johannesburg side. And although perhaps on a slightly lower budget, his games are still very cleverly put together and you'll find some interesting puzzles and puzzle combinations. So there are a few out there. And then the gent that joined us, I mean, his, his business unfortunately closed, but I was a fan of his games. We couldn't bring them all on board. But when his business was in Paul, I really enjoyed his ancient portal game. And the fact that he handmade all the props like blew me away. What comes next for you? We're actively trying to upgrade our facilities. We're busy overhauling our Game Master control rooms. We want to give them something absolutely epic because we're at this point where we expect a lot of them and to be able to expect a great deal from them, we have to give them the best support possible. So we want to give them like an environment that they're super stoked to be in and be a part of. And then it's just an overhaul of our entire facility, really, from intra-area slash lobby to the hallway to making that all more immersive and and thematic to our game rooms. We've got 
big plans. We've got a really cool game coming up from the mind of Quirbus, the gent that has joined us, called Marble, which is a bit of a Marvel spoof, a superhero spoof game that he's come up with that I'm super excited about. So Marble instead of Marvel. Yes. Love it. And, and by the way, he's been a long-time listener of your podcast as well, by the way, and a big fan. So, yeah, I'm, like I say, we we're so, so privileged to have him as part of our team, and I'm very excited. I'm thinking that, you know, the game that he's got designed and what he's taken me through, I feel like this really is our step towards where we want to be. We can't wait for it to happen. And, and yeah, that's all in the work. So we've got a lot going on, and we're super, super grateful to be busy in this way. It's so exciting. And where can people find you on social media if they want to follow you and see what you're up to? So from a business perspective, it's at Hint Hunt Africa. Follow us on Instagram. Personally, you can follow me on Instagram at that guy Dino or on Twitter at also Dino. Okay. And we will put links to all of that in the show notes. Dino, thank you so much for joining. This has been a long time coming and it's been a pleasure having you. Thank you so much for having me. The Reality Escape Pod is produced by Lisa Spira, edited by Steve Ewing of Stand Inside Media, and brought to you by RoomEscapeArtist.com, your home for well-researched, rational, and reasonably humorous escape room and immersive gaming content and events. Hi folks, it's that time again, you know the one where we ask you to back us on our Patreon. Now, I know that everyone has Patreon request fatigue. I have it too. And I know that you're used to hearing that it takes a lot of work to make this content and that the money goes a long way. But it really is true. All of the things that we're doing take a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of money. And the support that we get from our Patreon community is invaluable. If you have the money available and love what we're doing, please do consider backing us on Patreon. It means more than I think you realize. Thanks. If you have been enjoying the content on Reality Escape Pod, David and I would really appreciate a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcast or Spotify. It really goes a long way towards helping us market the podcast and growing this podcast. We'd like to take a moment to thank our highest tier sponsors, Derek Tam, Breakout Games, Jonathan Driscoll, Pat Tupin, Rex Miller, Paula Swan, Scott Olson, and Byron Delmonico. It was about 11 days before I left for my returnee season. I was visiting my family down in Durban, and Durban is about an hour and a half's drive from where we shot season eight. And down the road was a friend of mine who was visiting from the UK, who's a super fan, who I'd met before I'd even been cast. And I said, cool, I'm going to take him, my brother, my brother's friend, to our Zamba and Vuna beaches so that he can see where we shot season eight. Down the road from there, there was actually an escape room at the hotel that we stayed at after filming. So we're like, okay, cool. We're going to go visit the Zamba and Vuna beaches and then we're going to go and play an escape room. What ends up happening is if we were on the Zamba tribe, cross this river mouth every single day, whether it's a challenge or tribal council, it was an absolute mission. That's why it was never used as a merged tribe beach. And we decided, okay, we're going to cross this river mouth, get to Zamba Beach. And unfortunately, the waters were quite rough. The currents was quite strong. My brother, his friend and I crossed relatively no problem. And Sheldon, our superfan friend, unfortunately struggled. 
the point, and I'm, I know I'm busy giggling here because it has a good ending, but he actually, we start realizing that the guy starts to drown, literally starts drowning in this river mouth that we used to cross in game. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm about to kill this guy. I've just killed this guy. So I dive in. I'm not the strongest swimmer in the world. Dive in, swim out to him, grab him, put him on his back and somehow pull him onto the rocks. And then we get smashed up onto the rocks and whatever. I've still got the photos of all the cuts and bruises and all these things. And we're like, oh my word, still in a bit of shock. We go and explore the Zamba Beach. This guy's just escaped death. And um, then we have to swim all the way back across. And we kind of get to the escape room like 20 minutes late. And I'm like, we're so sorry. We were kind of out swimming and we're all bashed up. We're wet. We're like all cut and bruised. And I think we solve it in like 30 minutes or so, come out and then all like start to realize only there and then what had just happened over the last hour and a half, you know? This thing that was meant to be this epic day was this whole traumatic experience and like we end up like bawling our eyes out going like, oh my God, what just happened? I'm feeling this huge guilt because I've just put this guy's life in danger and my brother's life in danger and my life in danger. I feel like the biggest idiot. But all we could think about was getting back in time so that we didn't miss our booking for the escape room. I know it's not like the most... Fantastic well-rounded story, but I thought it was a great way to type both escape room and survive in one. It was mental. <laughs>